Hey guys, welcome, welcome, welcome. Beautiful people, it's good to have you guys this awesome Sunday morning. Daylight saving time is a pain. Yes, did you guys have a hard time getting up? I did. Oh man, I did. It was hard. Yeah. My name is Tony, in case you guys don't know. Uh, pastor here at TLC. I'm so glad to have you guys here. Um, so glad to be able to give you God's word this morning as we come before him. We are, we are in the series of our theme for this year for TLC, 2023. The theme of TLC is Rhythm in Christ, a year of Christ-centered living. Some of you guys are asking, why did we pick this theme, Tony? Why do we have it? I mean, we pick a theme every year, so, but why this one, right? You know, because as the leaders got together, I think we believe that although we can confidently say, I believe in Jesus, I know he died for my sins. I believe he saved my soul. But our belief has not yet translated into our character. You know what I'm talking about? Because we live in the same fear, the same depression, the same anxiety, the same stress, full of doubts, completely full of unforgiveness, as if someone who does not believe in the first place. So if, if, if by our lips we say, yes, I'm rooted in Christ, I know Jesus Christ died for my sins, I know he loves me, I know all that good stuff, I know that I'm going to heaven one day, and yet somehow my character has not changed, somehow I still face the same anxiety, the same depression. I don't have a way out of it. I don't have a resource through it. I don't have a way to be free of it. That as anyone else in this world, there is something about what you're rooted in. There's something wrong here. And, the, and what's wrong is that although you proclaim with your lips, there is an offbeat to your life. There is no rhythm to your life when it comes to Christ. And the big problem we have is that ultimately, though we acknowledge him in our minds, and our lips, we have rejected him in our hearts. We've not allowed him to take over our will. We have not allowed for him to trust and what he has in store for us. There's no repentance in your life. There's no change in our hearts. There's no fear of God. There's no actual hatred of sin. Yes, I believe, yes, we believe in our heads that Jesus Christ died for our souls, but has yet to take root in our lives. Our character has not matched it. You guys following me? And that's why we came with this theme of rhythm in Christ. We're offbeat with him. So for the, next few, uh, for the next month or so, we're going to be giving you guys two messages each as an overview of these rhythms that I want you guys to begin to practice, to begin to take hold into your life. Rhythms of prayer, rhythms of work, rhythms of relationship, rhythms of rest. I want you guys to take hold of these rhythms. Let it be part of your character. Therefore, let it transforming your life. Last week, Kevin shared an amazing, great message on the rhythms of prayer. That prayer is the soul-penetrating work that God does. As we lean on God, as we trust him through our suffering, through our darkness, as we lean on him in prayer, we begin to see God's heart. We begin to see God's desire for us. My goal, my hope for our church is this. Is that we get into this rhythm with Christ. My second message today for, about prayer is this. Prayer is... If you approach prayer 
the misconception that we often have with prayer is that we approach prayer to get something from God. We, we just come and we pray and we want to get something from the Lord. If you approach prayer in that way, is that, if that's your main only approach in prayer, you've approached prayer incorrectly. You will get very little. You will have very little change in your life. If you think that petitioning to God is the main point of prayer, you will get very little out of it. Because the point of prayer is not to get things, but to get your heart back on track with God. The main, the main thrust, the main center, the main framework of prayer is to get Yeah, end of the world, okay? The world will end, okay? In the same way, if your heart has left its orbit with the Lord, has left its rhythm with God, what, what comes out of your life is chaos. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys have been through it. Some of you guys are know. You know. As your rhythm is off with God, there's chaos. There's not peace. There's destruction in, uh, wherever you go. So today, I want to share with you the way to restore our rhythm with Christ. To restore our rhythm with Christ, is, that means that we need to restore our rhythm of prayer. And to restore our rhythm of prayer, we need to restore our adoration and praise to God. Rhythm of prayer is restored when adoration and praise to God is restored. Let me say that one more time. Rhythm of prayer is restored when adoration and praise to God is restored. The reason why you're off rhythm with Christ, the reason though you profess in your lips, I believe God, I know he's out there somewhere, he'll save my life, I, I'm pretty sure I dedicate my life sometime in my life to Jesus Christ, I'm pretty sure, I hope, I think he saved my life, but there is no change in your character because why? You're off rhythm. So let 2023 be a year where you get back on rhythm. Amen? Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verses 5. This is Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I want, to, I want you guys to see something. I want you guys to see something very distinct here. I want you guys to understand something. We all praise something. We all give adoration to something. Doesn't have to, doesn't, we all worship something. Doesn't mean that it has to be a steeple, pews, church body like this. We all give praise and worship. Our, 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 our church could be in the office room. Our church could be in our bedroom. Our church could be in our homes. Our church could be in any different places. We all give praise to something. It's part of our very existence as humans. I just need you to recognize it. And Jesus wants you to recognize it. Matthew chapter 5. Let me read this to you guys. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father, 
in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's bow our heads together. Let me pray for us. Oh God, I pray. Lord, I pray over the hearts of the brothers and sisters, the friends and the families who have gathered here today. Oh Lord, I know that there is brokenness. I know, oh God, there is tiredness. I know there is stress, anxiety. I know that there is no peace in their life. And so I pray over them in this moment, God. I ask, oh Lord, that your word will wake them up from their slumber. I ask, oh God, that your word would awaken in them the spirit, oh Lord, which you have given unto them. I pray, oh God, that they would repent and come before you this day, that they would renew their life once more unto you, Jesus. Lord, I pray over myself, unworthy as I am, to preach your message. I pray for the anointing of your spirit to do so. Oh God, may I handle your word with fear and trembling. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you guys to understand is the necessity of adoration and praise, the necessity of worship. It's part of who you are. Look at what Jesus says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have seen and received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Praise is not just a Christian religious thing. It's an everyone thing. Worship is not just a Christian religious thing. It's an everyone thing. He's saying this, look, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. What were the hypocrites doing? Hypocrites are people who live double lives. They live to put on a show. They're not consistent. Before you, they put on a face and a mask. Behind you, they're a whole different person all the while hiding their true self. And this passage is talking about, it's not, it's not specifically talking about the hypocritical lifestyle, but he's talking about the hypocritical prayers. The hypocritical prayers. You know, in the Jewish custom, they're used to pray standing up. They, they, when they, they're, they're, it's actually normal for them to be in the streets. They'll stand in the middle and they'll just raise their hand and they'll give prayers to God. It's not a weird thing. It's not an offshoot thing. It's not a showy thing. That was part of their custom. That's part of what they did. And it was great because they just showed that they pray God, praise to God in every situation, right? We are to pray everywhere. But Jesus' rebuke to them was not that they were standing in the street praising God or praying to God. That wasn't his rebuke to them. His rebuke to them was what? What these people wanted, they were praying, as the Bible said, what? To be seen by men. They were praying to be seen by men. What these people wanted wasn't to petition to God, wasn't wanting to confess to God, wasn't wanting to seek God with all their heart. What they were doing was what they wanted to be recognized by men. They wanted to be recognized by people. Their heart's true desire was to be appreciated, to be revered, to be affirmed, to be honored by those who saw them. And what's the principle here? The principle I want to share with you guys is this. These are the type of people who pray. The, the idea is that these people pray 
only when their ultimate concern, when their true desire, what, what they fully treasure is at stake. These are the people who give lip service to God in their prayers because what they really wanted is in trouble. Because true prayer is this. True prayer is that if you really want God, you will adore him, you will enjoy him. If you, if you truly concern yourself with the things of God, it doesn't matter where you pray, whether you are in public or hidden in secret. Your heart is to have him. But the heart of these people were hypocritical because what they were praying for was, I want myself on the throne. I want to be acknowledged. I'm not being acknowledged yet. People aren't seeing me as holy. People aren't seeing me as godly. So I'm going to stand in public and show them. And when they revere me, when they applaud me, when they say, wow, then things are great. Then I'll just go back to my daily life. I won't pray anymore because I got what I wanted already. Does that sound familiar? When things go bad for your life, Relationships don't work out. Money is dried up in the bank. You embarrass yourself in front of a bunch of people. Right? People are saying stuff behind you, your back, and you know it. What happens? Don't you go back to devotionals? Don't you go back to your QTs? Don't you run back to pray? Oh, God, all I really wanted was you. Please take away this pain. All I've always wanted was you. Please take away this shame. Oh, I really want is you. Please, God, give me. Give me back my money. Give me back this relationship. Change their mind. Help them love me again. And then when things get better, what happens? What happens? You stop. You stop. Jesus was saying, can you not see the hypocrite, the hypocrite, how hypocritical, how hypocrite, <laughs> how hypocritical your prayers are, right? Jesus said, can you not see it? Can you not see it? It's actually, listen, it's actually in the secret, in verse 6. It's actually in the secret when you discover who the God of your life really is. Because we all worship something. It's either the Lord of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, or you worship something else. The way you find out what you really adore, what really moves your life, is to find out what you do in secret. When you're alone, what do you think about? What's on your mind? What takes up the majority of your thoughts? Do you think about owning your own home? Oh, I can't wait to have it. I need it. Do you think about how you look? Do you think about your relationships? Falling in love, being in love, getting married? Do you think about achievements? When am I gonna get my raise? When am I gonna make it in life? When am I gonna get out of this one bedroom apartment? Do you think about your success, your hobbies, the, the things that brings you comfort? What do you think about when you don't have to think about anything else? What do you do in secret? Jesus is trying to say, what you think about in secret is the thing your heart most adore. It's the thing that you worship the most. It's the thing that has captured you the most. It is the thing that has hooked your heart the most. What is it that you do in secret? 
If the thing you adore is not God, then you only pray when that thing is at stake. Isn't it true? You only pray when your family's in trouble. Oh God, things are going so bad in our family. I need to pray to you now. You only pray when something goes wrong. Like my life is a mess. Everything is falling apart around me. Now I need to pray to you. You only pray when you don't get what you want. I should have gone to that school. I should have gotten that job. I should have gotten that position. God, the consistency of your prayer life tells you who your God really is. Everybody spends their secret in praise. Everybody does. And it's what we praise in secret that tells us about our hearts' true devotion. You guys following me? Yeah, I know you guys think, I see in your eyes, like, dude, he knows. So he says, don't, don't be like the hypocrites. But then he says this too, verse 7 and 8, he says, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask of him. And so there may be some of you guys in here, I hope there's not, but there may be some of you guys in here who think to yourself, you know what, I'm, I'm not like that, Tony. I talk to God all the time. I am, I am as devoted to Jesus nonstop. I am all for God. I am saved because of my devotion to him. And I babble and I pray. Do you realize that the thing you really want most is still yourself? I pray so that God can what? Bless me. I pray so that God can honor me. God is blessing me because I pray. Your prayers are a ritual. You have it in your life. Right? We all have these rituals. What are rituals when we, what is the go-to prayer when we, uh, when we eat? Oh, thank you for this food. In Jesus' name I pray. That's a short version, right? <laughs> You know to pray when you wake up, when you eat, when you're with people, when you sleep. You have certain ways in which you speak to God. Very ritualized. Very ritualized. And this is the worst type of all. Because you fool yourself into thinking that you adore God. That you're praising God. That you're bringing God into the space. All the while you are just using God. Do you hear that? I'm not saying ritual prayers are bad. They aren't if done with the right heart to seek the Lord. But here Jesus is saying these people, they give these ritual prayers, these babblings, thinking that their many words would move God into action. They aren't praising God. They're using God to move for them. We all adore something, church. Money, relationship, wealth, personal pride, personal self. You all adore something. You all worship something. And Jesus is saying, do you realize it though? This is how you would realize it. What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything? That's it. That's the thing that has your heart. So he moves on, he says, okay, do you see it? Let me show you. Let me show you how to get back into the rhythm of prayer. 
true prayer. To restore the rhythm with me is to restore the rhythm of prayer. And to restore the rhythm of prayer, you need to be restoring adoration and praise to me. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallow be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The definition of hollow, it means to treat something as sacred and ultimate. To hollow something is to treat it as absolutely sacred to your life. The most important thing in your life, the supreme in your life. To seek and to make something the most crucial, important, supreme, sacred thing of your life. That is a definition of hollow. And Jesus says, this must come first. First comes the encounter of the true God to praise God, to adore him, to seek him, to see him. This comes first in our journey of prayer to understand him. Not only to understand him, but to understand ourselves. Now, I want to make sure you guys uh, understand this, okay? Or to, to be able to say, give us today our daily bread, to ask God for something, what must f- comes first is hollow be your name. To ask God for, Lord, forgive me of my sins, what must come first is your will be done. And I want to make sure you guys understand, this is not a, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you like steps here, okay? These are not systematic steps. Do this first and then you can do that, okay? It's not mean that you pray, you, you give praise to God first and then now you can move on to petition, Jesus is teaching this. We first praise God. We first adore God. We first hollow God's name because it frames our petition. It frames our confession. Until we have centered our minds on adoring God, until we have set him on the throne of our lives, until we have discarded everything else that has been on the throne of our lives, and we place him once again back into it, the center of our lives, and everything now being directed for him, that alone begins to frame your petition and your confession. Praise and adoration is the context for everything else. Because petition is how you look at the world, confession is how you look at yourself. So unless you are doing correctly, guess what, guys? You're not going to be praying correctly. Unless there is true adoration, true hollowness before God, you're not going to confess correctly. Let me show you what I mean by that. In verse 11, he says this, Give us today our daily bread. This is, a, this is a prayer of saying, this is what I need. This is what I need. If you hollow anything else besides God, guess what? It's going to show up in your petition. It's going to show up in your asking. And what he's asking here is that you were supposed to pray for our daily bread. I hear people tell me this all the time as a pastor. Hey, PT, I, I, I go to God and I pray. And I pray. But I don't have any peace. I don't have any peace. I pray all the time. I ask, I ask, but there's no peace in my heart. Do you want to know why? Do you want to know why? If you go to God and say, God, I have to get that promotion. God, I have to be in this relationship. God, I have to get that A. I have to get into that school. I have to get that job. 
God, I have to get this internship. God, I have to get this thing or else my life will be over. No wonder you're not getting any peace. No wonder you're not getting any peace. Because if you hollowed your career, your success, your relationship, whatever you hollow is the thing that runs your life. It's not that God is not giving you peace. You know what's not giving you peace? It is not giving you peace. Your relationship is not giving you peace. Your yearning for your job is not giving you peace. Your success is not giving It is not, it is forcing you every day to die to worship it. You guys realize that? It is forcing you every day to die to worship it, to make it happy. When you make money, don't you feel good? And the God of money, the adoration of it says, oh, you, I got you. And when you don't, it says, but I need some more. I need you to want it more. I need you to want me more. Keep going. When you fall in love, isn't that cute? Isn't that sweet? That's all you want? And it tells you what? I want more. The God of the relationship says, I want more. Be in anxiety. Be in stress. Be constantly out of rhythm. Why? Because I will never make you feel at peace. I will never make you, I will make you die to have me. There's only one God in the whole world that would die to have you, and that's Jesus Christ. The reason why you're not able to get over your worry or receive any peace is not because you're not petitioning for the right need. It's okay to pray for a job. It's okay to pray for an internship. It's okay to pray for a blessing. It's okay to ask. God actually wants you to ask. The reason why you're not getting any peace is because your adoration is misplaced. You're not adoring God when you're asking. You're adoring it. And it is not giving you peace. You have to demote your job. You have to demote your success. You have to demote your family. It's not that you don't love your family, not that you don't want your family, not that you don't want success, not that you don't want the, the things. It's that you demote those things and you get out of the hollow place. You get out of the place of adoration. You get out of the place of sacred. You get out of the place of importance. And you put God back in that throne where he belongs. Otherwise, it will show up in your petition. You can pray to your blue in the face and you still let... This is how you know, church. When you pray for something and you know that you're praying in adoration to God, you know what happens? The Bible says what? The peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will be upon you, upon your heart and upon your mind. Philippians 4. But if you pray and you're asking and you leave that sacred space of prayer, and you're still anxious, you're still worried, you're still full of doubt, you're still questioning, guess what happened? You know in your heart, it's not God that you just adored. It's that thing. And that thing is not giving you rest. That thing is not giving you rest. Again, I'm, saying, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask God for anything. God is our Father. He's a good Father. He wants you to petition. He wants to hear from you. He longs to give his children good gifts. God is a good father. I'm a bad father, and I still know to give my kids good gifts. How much more so would the heavenly father give his kids, his children, the gifts 
that they ask for. But when you ask for it, you are to believe, you are to trust, you are to adore, you are to center all of that upon him, knowing, God, I'm going to ask this of you, Dad. I'm going to ask this of you, Father. And if you say no, I'm going to trust. Though I don't like it, I'm going to trust that there must be a reason for why you said no. I'm going to walk away at peace. And if I ask this of you and you give it to me, Lord, I'm going to trust that it was for me. I'm going to praise you and thank you for it. And if you say no, I will praise you and thank you for it. And this is the worst one. And when you say wait, why do I have to wait? There must be a reason why you, t- there must be something in my character that's not ready for it. So wait. Right? I always tell my son, so dad, remember, I think remember he was three or four, like, you know, all the uncles and aunties, they brought over their Twitch. Was it Twitch? No, the Switch, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. And, you know, and, he, and, he, and from a young age, he says, Dad, I'm going I'm to save money to buy a Switch. I said, you can have one at 10. So 10? That's going to be, I'll be so old by then. I was like, right? Just wait. You can have it at, at 10. He said, why? I said, just, just wait. Because you know what I know? I know that if I give him long enough, he'll be over it. Right? Right? Oh, for real. I, I know that it was just a moment thing. And you know what happened last week? He said, Dad, I don't think I'm going to save money for a switch anymore. I was like, what? Really? Why not? I, said, uh, I mean, I would probably play it all day if I had it, you know. But then he said, that I want to, I what was it for? What did he ask for? Now? I forgot to. He asked me something different, right? He said, I think I'm going to save money for oil, a basketball hoop. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's for a basketball hoop. Oh, I'm like, that's a hard one. I mean, as a bad father, I'm thinking, did he really need a basketball hoop? I mean, like, like, really, like, you know, like, there is genetics, you know. I mean, he he just watched this. I mean, Disney don't help. He just watched this one uh, chain can dunk movie, right, on Disney, and he's thinking like, Daddy, I can do it. I can do it. He's like, you know, doing the LeBron. Like. I was like, oh, yeah, let's, let's, let's wait. Wait, let's wait. Let's wait. I'm not saying you shouldn't ask. You should ask. Our God is a good father. But I'm saying when you ask, do you trust? Do you trust him? That if he says no, okay, I trust you. I'm at peace. It must be not be good for me. If you say wait, okay, I'll wait. But either way, you walk away with peace. Not because there's some sort of like, you know, magical thing that's happening in your heart. You're at peace because you know that there's a father. You know that your father loves you. That he will give good unto you. If he's not giving to you, it must not be good. And you must not be ready for it. And he goes on, he says, if you don't hollow God, if you want anything else more than God, the problems will show up not only in your petition, things you ask, but it will show up in your confession. It will show up in the way you confess to God. Look at verse 12, it says, forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors, or those who have sinned against us. You know, many times I encounter people who've done something wrong. And these people actually received forgiveness from the person they've wronged. 
and the, and the community they've wronged. And they say that I know God has forgiven me. I know it. But for some reason, we'll still say what? I can't forgive myself. Isn't that weird? I have met people in my life that I've counseled and walked with who have done horrendous things, received forgiveness from the people who they've done it against, from the community which they've done it against, even, from, even saying that I believe in all my heart that God forgives me, but the problem is I, PT, can't forgive myself. I'm still ashamed. I'm still guilty. Do you know why they say that? Or you know why you say that? Because whatever it is that you're adoring, whether it's your view of yourself, your personal honor, your success, what it is you adore and praise in secret will totally and always control you. You'll be driven by it. And you will only think you failed if you failed whatever it is that you adored. And you won't need to confess if you think you have not failed it, right? When you say, I can't forgive myself, what you're really saying is, I hollow something more than God, and it won't forgive me. It won't let me go. I know God forgives me, but it won't forgive me. My pride won't forgive me. My shame won't forgive me. My failures won't forgive me. I met a girl a few years back who got into UCLA, senior year, right? And so what do seniors do when they get into their school already? <laughs> they start slacking off, right? Ditching classes and just doing whatever. And she didn't, think, she didn't think she would actually mess up that bad, but she did, right? And finally, she got rejected from getting in because her grades her last semester. She didn't make the cut. And she was, as you would feel, devastated. I mean, it's UCLA, but whatever, right? She would feel <laughs> devastated, right? For all you high, yeah, whatever. <laughs> she, felt, she felt like she failed everyone. She felt like she failed everyone. And the funny thing was this. This funny thing was this. Her parents ended up forgiving her. Some of her friends whom they were supposed to dorm together, now they can't get their dorm because of a lack of They end up forgiving her. She even said to me, I know God forgives, forgave me. But she said this, but I don't forgive myself for doing this. She came from that type of mind frame where her image, her stance, her position in life, her culture has taught her you failed, you've ruined everything. When you failed, you've ruined your image, you've ruined the respect, you've ruined your family's honor, you ruined everything. She came from that mindset. And though she said with all of her heart, straight facing me, she said, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. And in that shame, it made her what? Made her hate herself. Some of you guys are thinking, oh, poor girl. She needs to love herself more, right? She needs to not be so full of herself. Love herself more. Forgive herself. No. 
The problem is not the lack of love. The problem is that she loved herself too much. You guys follow? It wasn't that that lack of love, it's that she loved herself too much. She needs to take her pride and her honor and her position and the cultural mind frame that she has had. I mean, I get it, it's an immigrant mind frame coming up on the bottom, I get it. But that's the very thing that enslaves us. And she was enslaved to it. It's not that she didn't love herself, it's that she loved herself too much. What she needed to do was she needed to take her pride and her honor off the throne of her life. She needs to get out of the holy place. She needs to get off of the hollow place. See, the grace of God and his forgiveness is what drove her. It was her honor that drove her. It was her pride that drove her. And when she failed her honor, it wouldn't forgive her. It wouldn't forgive her. You know why? Because it was misplaced adoration. She got the wrong thing on the wrong throne. If God was the source of her adoration, then she wouldn't have the problem of saying what? Forgive me my sins. And walked away at peace with it. She would have to pay the penalty of it, of course. Consequences are there. But she will walk away knowing I'm forgiven. But she didn't. Some of you guys are thinking, okay, I get it. I worship something. Actually, I can even pinpoint what I'm worshiping right now, PT. But I guess the question you want to ask is why and how am I to adore God? Why should I adore him? Right? What has he done for me? Why should I give praise and honor and set him in the center of my life? Who is this Jesus that deserves my worship, my adoration, my sacred place, the importance of my soul? Who is he? Why should he? Who prayed this prayer, by the way? Who taught the disciples to pray this prayer? If you have your Bible, it's in red. And if it's in red, it's from Jesus. It's from Jesus. Right, Jesus. Okay, just in case. Jesus prayed this prayer. You know what he prayed? He prayed, forgive us our sins. But, hold up. Jesus never sinned. Jesus never sinned. And he prayed, forgive us our sin. He prayed, our Father. Not just my Father. Our Father. It's my Father and your Father. You are my family. Together, it is our Father. And he says this, forgive us our sin. He never sinned. Why would he pray, forgive us our sin? He never did a single thing wrong. He was the most perfect person to have walked this earth. He never did a single thing wrong. And yet, he prayed, forgive us our sin. You know why? He's the older brother. He became sin in our place. He took the blow of God's justice and God's judgment in our place. So when the blow of justice was supposed to come into you, he jumps in and he says, forgive us our sins. Take me instead. The best illustration I have of this was, um, I remember when I was getting whooped by my grandma. Right? Or she was, my grandma, right? She's a little old now, so she can't do that anymore. But 
back in the days, she was, she was, she was G, right? So I remember I was a kid. Um, she would, uh, I, back in the days, I lived in the apartments. So they used to have these big trucks in front park, and they have all these, like, you know, it's like a bodega. You have all, you know, some of you guys are like, what's that? Okay, anyways, that's how old I was. So there's, like, this is truck, and they sell knickknacks. They sell food from the trucks, you know, and, you come, and kids will come out to their thing, and they'll buy, like, candy and stuff. And I love it. It's always so cheap, you know. It's like, like 25 cents for, like, a bunch of candy. It's like, yes. So I remember I would sneak out when Grandma was home. I'll sneak out. She wouldn't let me leave the house. I'll sneak out, and I'll, run. I'll wait till she like she's in, you know taking a shower. I'll run out as fast as I can. I see how fast I can get to my front of my apartment. I'll buy the can. I'll run back. And there's one time I think she was on to me, so she pretended to go to the bathroom, right? <laughs> Turn on the water just to see me run out. And by the time I came back in, there she was standing, with the with with the broomstick, right? And it's not like it's not the it's not the the, the soft one. It's it's the, the the hard one, right? And I was like, oh. I'm going to die, right? And I, I, was, I was just waiting for it. I mean, I'm just like, you know, embracing, you know, for the act of judgment upon me, right? And, you know, she started yelling, and she was about to swing it. And I was just like, ah! And the moment I thought that the blow was supposed to come, right, all of a sudden, my cousin Jeff jumped in, and he blocked it, right? He, and he says, it's my fault. I told him to go do it. And I was like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he did, right? He totally told me to go do it, right? Oh, man, he got whipped so bad. Oh, right? Uh, and I remember afterwards, I mean, I probably wanted to cry as I watched it. I was like, and afterwards, I was like, Jeff, like, why? He says, because I'm pretty sure I could have taken that better than you, right? You would probably have died, right? You know, from that day on, I did whatever Jeff told me to do, right? I'm not even going to lie. Like, it wasn't good things he told me to do either, but I did, I did it. It didn't matter. Right? Because he took it from me. He took it from me. Can you imagine? It's the same picture, but ours is much worse. It's the ultimate blow of God's justice upon a wicked world that rejected him. And the moment that blow was supposed to come upon us, Christ jumps in and he says, I'll take it. Give it to me. Give me the blow. I'll take it on their behalf. If that is not a reason to adore and to praise and to give honor and to give sacredness to our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know what is. Isaiah 53 says it's best. Surely, surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. He was cons- we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted by God. He was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his wounds, we are healed. We, you and I, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each have turned to our own ways. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. By oppression, by affliction, though he was oppressed and though he was afflicted, he did not say a word. He was led, the Bible says, like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not say a word. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who 
among you protested. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was punished. But that's not the reason to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what is. Your money has never done that for you. Your pride has never done that for you. Your relationships have never done that for you. Whatever it is that you have adored in your life has never done that. All those things, they demand that you die to keep them. It's only our Lord Jesus Christ who would die to keep you. If that's not a reason to worship God, I do not know what is. If that's not a reason to adore his name, I do not know what is. But how do I know? How do I know if I'm adoring him, PT? Does it just kind of pop up? Is it like some magical formula that just happens? You know what adoration is? Adoration means you want to honor what God honors. Adoration to God means that you begin to hate what God hates. You love what God loves. You avoid what he disdains. One of the sure signs that your heart is adoring God is that you are able to pray this last prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. The way you know that you honor God, that he is a door in your life, that he is center of your throne, is that when you know you are walking in a step that is going to lead to temptation, hooked by evil, you say, you cry out to God, I do not want to go there because you are not honored there. You are not praised there. That does not give you glory, so I do not want to walk in that. I will not let evil take hold of me. Deliver me from evil. That's how you know. But how many of us actually, in the midst of temptation, cry out to God, deliver us from evil? How many of us actually just begin to continue to walk into temptation? And I'm not just trying to tell it to you, church. I'm telling this as your pastor as well. I have been just as bad and just as wrong walking into temptation. Not crying out, deliver me from evil, when I know I should in so many ways. And when the temptation comes, there's only two things that can begin to happen. Either you will know that you have forgotten God and he is off the throne of your life because you will walk into it. You will let evil hook you and drag you. And the thing about evil is that it doesn't just drag you right abruptly, it drags you slowly. Piece by piece, little by little, so that you won't know that you're dying. Look at her. What is she wearing? And Eva says, gotcha. Keep going. You know, you shouldn't be dressing like that in your mind. She shouldn't be doing that. That's ridiculous. How do they act like that? Then it slips to disdain. Ugh. Gotcha. Keep going. You know, proper people dress properly. They should. You feel superior, better. Gotcha. Keep going. I freaking hate them so much. Gotcha. Hey, hey, come here. Let me tell you about this person. 
It's just between us, okay, because you're my friend. We're close peeps. No one knows, just us. Got them too. Keep going. We need to protect everyone else, so let's make sure we let everyone else know, okay? You got you to make sure to tell them about that person, okay? Got to protect everyone. You in a good now. Gotcha. Instead of saying, the moment you see it, I know that my thoughts will ruminate and go down this road. They will go down to this dark and ugly path that it begins to manifest in so many different ways. Instead of saying, God, lead me not into this temptation, but deliver me from evil, we begin to walk into it. You know why? Because God is not adored in your life. He is not center of your heart. He is not honored when you, as a son and daughter of the living God, begin to speak ugly and ill of the brothers and sisters in whom he died for. Oh, God, oh, church, would you cry out, deliver me from evil? When you brought before temptation, would you not say, just one, just one, how bad can it be? Gotcha, keep going. Bro, I didn't ask for your life story, bro, just one more, okay, why not? Gotcha, keep going. I'm already here. Let's just, I'll ask for forgiveness tomorrow. Definitely got you. Keep going. When you're led into temptation, the first thing that should come to your mind, if your heart is adoring the living God, is that, God, do you honor this road? God, do you honor this path? God, are you there? Because if you are not there, I do not want to be there. And I see the hook of evil coming at me. And Lord, deliver me from this. You see, you know that your heart is adoring God. When you're able to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Some of us, we have no problem petitioning. Give us today our daily bread. We have no problem righteously proclaiming, forgive us our sins, as we have forgiven our sinners, those who have sinned against us. But somehow, for some reason, we don't say, lead me not into temptation or deliver me from evil. And the reason why you know you can't say that because at the heart of your heart, on the throne of your life, is not God. And so my prayer for you is this, church. Restore your rhythm with Christ. Restore your rhythm of prayer. Restore your adoration and your praise to your God. Let's pray.